One and two and three and four. There's murder and intrigue, but the kids of Riverdale are gonna be just fine, just fine, just just fine. There's Jughead and Betty, and Dad's a serial killer serving some jail time, jail time, jail jail time. We got milkshakes and pops. And mimosas at Veronica's Yeah, the kids of Riverdale are gonna solve some crime Some crime, some, some crime Cause the kids of Riverdale are gonna still be fine Maybe damaged, damn, damn, damn Sit right down, you're gonna have a real good time With Team Cheryl Who's Archie? And welcome to the official start of Stephen King Month on Milkshakes and Mimosas, where we are covering very, very tenuously in some cases, all the Stephen King movies and TV shows that have connections to people from Riverdale. Um, This will be the first one. So uh, welcome to Spooky Month, y'all. And I'm not joined alone. I also have classic spooky man himself jason oh yes very spooky welcome welcome to the dead zone (laughs) welcome to the dead zone Dead zone. and also a man if he took a drive could probably see that gazebo tonight alex hello alex that's right andrew i could uh you know it's yeah it's about an hour away i've i've been to niagara on the lake it's it's quite beautiful but uh you know I got to be you, careful, yeah, because go, uh, the gazebo is gonna break. <laughs> <laughs> Would you go up to that gazebo um, and call your partner? And be like, "Come up and look at this site. Look at the gazebo. Come see the gazebo." Yeah, that oh, that's so. I, uh, it's it, it just it, I, like especially now in like like Me Too era where it's like you should smile more. Come stand next. I'll put my arm around you. We have a tenuous relationship. It's like, oh boy, this is even this is creepy even without the murder. I, I that's the, that's the conversation my wife and I have every night. <laughs> I still remember. Well, we'll get into what we're talking about in a second. But I start because we brought up the gazebo. I remember my father went to Niagara on the Lake and he couldn't. He like went on the gazebo but he couldn't remember the title of the movie so he just kept like he's like i love that gazebo from like i don't know the dead frogs or whatever and i was like what the fuck are you talking like what are you talking about and i was like oh wait gaze you're the dead zone dad you're the dead zone he's like wow whatever the fuck it was a gazebo okay it was cool gazebo and i was like cool (laughs) what a great story uh but yeah, so we're talking all about the Dead Zone, uh, and we're gonna talk about, um, you know, we're gonna talk about the movie and the TV show. The movie, um, it's just kind of an excuse to talk about the movie because the movie is great, and the TV show is also has some pretty good and interesting elements to it. Um, but the TV show is the one that does have Riverdale cast members in it, and we'll get to that when we get there. The movie is just kind of, you know, we want to talk about the movie because you know it's amazing, um, and we'll get into why it's amazing. Uh, but first off, before we get into that, does anybody have any experience with the book itself? Um, Alex, have you uh, read the book or at all? Or no, I uh, I think it's one of those ones my brother had uh, when he got really into buying everything Stephen King. But I I 
if I've read anything, I read like maybe the first chapter and just like, oh, I got to read that at some point and then never got around to it. Yeah, I uh, in college, I found a copy of the dead zone on the side of the street, like in the gutter. And I was like, oh, what's this? And I picked it up and it was just like. It's just like, oh, this belonged to Mary blah, blah, blah from Hamilton. And it like had their address in it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go to someone's house and give them a copy of the dead zone that got thrown out of a car. So Maybe she got killed by Pennywise. You're lucky. The only thing I ever found in the gutter was like beauty <laughs> magazines, you know, but that was that, I guess that's a generational thing. I don't think your generation really dealt with that, Andrew, but like. I know a lot of guys where, like, the first time we saw boobs was like, oh, there was that weird stash of nudie magazines in the woods. Like, the first time I saw boobs was a torn out page from a nudie magazine in the woods near my school. My generation, uh, no, uh, we just threw Stephen King books uh, in the gutters for people to find. And, uh, and a Peter Frampton CD. I did once find a greatest hits of Peter Frampton CD in the middle of the country road. Like it was a very weird spot to find it. But hey, I found it. <laughs> and it still worked. I wanted it to show me the way. Um, so, uh, Jason, have you read the book? Oh, I'm a huge, like, way back huge Stephen King stan. Um, if it's like pre-probably like even 2005 Stephen King, I've probably read it. Um, right. Um, Dead Zone, yes. Met multiple times, but not since like high school probably. Um, but I remember thinking it was a really good book. Like as somebody who really loves Stephen King stuff, like thinking it was um, one of his better books actually, I think. I think it's an underrated book in my opinion in his catalog um especially as we talk through it like i think stephen king gets a lot of shit a lot of times justifiably so for his endings um but the dead zone ending is pitch fucking perfect like it is oh yeah amazing ending um and it's a story that is very character focused i think as opposed to which is why i sort of think and we can talk about the movie and why i think it's also underappreciated i think in part because it's hard to associate the things that of the tropes that we think of stephen king with it right it's um it, it's not as like it, it's not as um batshit crazy or folksy or have like the tropes of stephen king so like when you watch the dead zone movie you're not even really thinking of Stephen King like you would when watching like it or Pet Cemetery or it because it just doesn't really feel the same way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. It's more no, serious, that's, that's, and I think it's a it I think is. it's a really good book well, with a lot, so, a lot to say. So well, yeah, exactly. There's a lot to say. So I just read the book for this podcast. Uh, I decided, you know, every po- everything that we're going to cover this week, I'm going to uh, this month, I'm going to read the book. Um, which, by the way, uh, includes the stand and it. Um, so uh, goodbye, all of my again. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm talking about the stand again. M O O N. That spells you're <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that spells. I bought the Blu-ray, so I'm listening to it with commentary, baby. <laughs> um, but uh, so there's some very long books in there, but. Um, it was very interesting because it's very much focused upon a very specific era, right? There's there's a lot put into where he chose to set the dead zone in history. 
because uh, as a novel, it's like set right in those like pre like Nixon years, mm-hmm. right? Where he misses like Watergate, he misses a bunch of Vietnam, he misses like a bunch of like very pivotal pivotal stuff to the point where um, there's stuff that I didn't even realize was not just like omnipresent. Like there's a point where he learns the term superstar because apparently that was a thing that Elton like Elton John coined the term superstar like it it came with Elton John and I was like I mean I get it because fuck Elton John but I'm also like what like I that wasn't just like a thing in the common vernacular for like ever and um it's really fascinating from that perspective and uh it's really interesting when you get to some of these adaptations right because where they set some focus on the time period a lot others don't uh and because of when they're made is when uh wars will shift and like ev- popular events will shift as they go on and as they're adapted later and later into the year. So I thought that was really fascinating. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty good book. I, I liked it a lot. Could have used without, um, you know, there are chapter like literal chapters where Stephen King, a man, writes about how horny this lady is. Like a lot. There's a lot of writing. You sure that James Franco just didn't put that in there? <laughs> <laughs> James Franco, who read the audiobook, yeah, he ad-libbed all, all of that. Uh, wouldn't be surprised. Um, but needless to say, and the lady um, said, like a- James Franco makes me super horny. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that in the dead zone? This thing's like, <laughs> what? What's going on there? Uh, and and I, I think uh, when we get into it, um, there's also a very, there's some weird parts of the book. Like, um, all of the adaptations are very canada filmed right because i think the dead zone the tv show is also vancouver area yes it is it is like it has, oh, okay anthony michael hall is yeah, Canadian I, as well by the way right okay yeah right and, and that's and, like you know, his show he produced the show so it's not like he's just the star of that show he's like involved right. in it. nice nice um but so it's a very canadian um canadian adaptation story uh but there is a few mentions of canada in the book and it's where people go on vacation and I'm like, okay, that's weird. Like, there's a Nova Scotia reference and a Montreal reference. So it's like all of these provinces, because like Vancouver's in BC, and then you know Ontario is where most of the Dead Zone is filmed, like the the '80s one. So it's like it's like a Canadian road trip. If you go, like, you can go on like a, a Dead Zone road trip. I mean, if you're a loser like me and want to do that, you definitely could. And I thought that was fascinating too. Um, there's a point where somebody goes. This is just like in the book Carrie, and I'm like, bitch, you wrote Carrie. You can't reference you can't your reference own Carrie book. in your own book. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be like, oh, this is a book where everyone's like, yeah, I read that That's book, amazing. and it was great. Oh man, <laughs> you know how hot Stephen King is. Woohoo! Um, and then uh, everyone drinks Pepsi. That was the other thing that I noticed. Um, so that's <laughs> this those just to Pepsi. jump in, is this the first of his books set in Castle Rock? I, I, I think so. I think so. Like, this is like prime, um, prime era of King where he's like disassociative yeah, because yep, he's the dead like. The Zone is the first Castle Rock book. Right? Oh, okay. So it is the first Castle Rock book. Yeah. And I was yeah, going to say. Cause cause it's it's interesting books. that, yeah, they make a mention of Carrie, but then after this one, he does sort of establish his shared universe instead where it's like, right. oh no, I don't yeah. want, I don't want to be referencing my own work unless. I'm referen- it's characters referencing other characters because I know I was, you know, I watched the special features on the DVD and everything the other night 
and was reading, you know, Wiki and, and IMDb, but uh, all about how Cujo was written after this, but they finished. Rock book. Yeah. yeah. And they finished filming right before this. So they didn't, but it was two different studios and they didn't cross them over or anything. But the sheriff from this is the sheriff in Cujo or is mentioned yes. in Cujo. Yep. Right. And the, and the killer, killer in this. Killer. Yeah. yeah, the serial killer is supposed to be reincarnated in Cujo. Oh, which right. Is That's just, right. Which is just a weird, which is just weird, uh, especially given how horny the serial killer is. Like, that's disturbing. I don't like this. Keep away from us, Cujo. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a weird book because it is very much in the start of, of his, of that era uh, of King. Also, like, um, like the connected era of King. Also, like, I'm pretty sure this is like when he's like super on cocaine. Like, oh, I think yeah. this is like, Soup. This is entering that like super coked out period yeah, of time because I remember, so. yeah. And he remember. I remember because every time somebody asks him about Cujo, he's always like, "I don't, I don't even remember writing that book." Yeah, like I have no memories of writing Cujo, which again makes it all the weirder that there's connections. Like I don't know. Like he's just like his brain is just like, yeah. <laughs> it crazy. sort of makes sense if you've ever been like completely cooked out you make connections to every fucking thing that ever existed so like that's probably what was going on uh, there right yeah. as a cool person i definitely have like lots <laughs> of experience with cocaine so it's like like all the time yo it's like making all these connections um but yeah so that's just some fun facts about the and book is a really good uh, book too I, which is actually pretty surprising it's actually a very yeah. good book so like be able I, to write that well pretty, yeah uh, no it's 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 impressive, impressive. Yeah. Um, now let's kind of go on about the the movie. Uh, and this is like this is Cro- David Cronenberg who directed The Dead Zone in I believe it was eighty three. Correct. Uh, let's so. just yeah nineteen three. Yes, so nineteen eighty three. So that was when. Um, so this came that, out the same year as uh, something we just previously talked about on another show with V. Right, same year. Yeah, that that is that is funny, and also same year as Christine, um, and I think it's no, yeah, Christine's nineteen eighty three as well, and I think it's really notable because the these uh, both Christine and the Dead Zone are done by two of the <clears throat> are two King adaptations by two of horror's greatest directors, and I think in both of their filmographies they're very underrated like they're not totally as highly talked about um and they actually uh are really fucking good um and they are kind of work for hire i think they're from both of their perspectives that they're they were work for hire gigs uh although i don't know if that's true in terms of the dead zone because this is very canadian focused so maybe it was he kind of pitched it i think in the special features he said that he, uh, Cronenberg had finished filming um, uh, Videodrome and right. he was hanging out with, uh, I don't remember who he's hanging out with, but they introduced him to Deborah Hill. Mm. And Deborah Hill oh. was producing and had, had gotten the options from Dino De Laurentiis, who had optioned the, the rights for the book. And uh, she had said to him, like, oh, do you want to direct this? And he's like, hey, yeah, you know what? I, I just finished. I just finished Videodrome, like, I'm in between projects, like, sure, I'd love to come on board. Mm-hmm. So it was just, like, a chance encounter that, yeah, he met Deborah Hill, and she she was like, oh, you'd be great for this. Right, right. And I think, yeah, I think that that's pretty notable, because, um, you know, that's this is really early in Cronenberg's career. and uh, This is his first big, like, 
not just Canadian actors movie. Like, right. like or or not right. like, you know, besides the main stars. Well, James Woods and it was Oh that's uh, yeah, that's true. But this yeah, this was his first big studio, I think, movie from what he was saying that you know, he 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 in the special features, he talks about the good balance he was able to strike between getting these these big Hollywood actors and actresses and also just Canadian workhorse people that he knew like, oh, yeah, no, I want to put I want to put this person in it. Like the person who plays uh, Chris Rockin's mom. He's like, oh, I'd, I'd I'd worked with her on other stuff like she's this great Canadian actress and the yeah. the cop serial killer, like just all these people that. He he's like, yeah, no, I love that I got to shoot it in Canada and that I got to do my first big mix of like Hollywood stars, but also just great Canadian actors and actresses. Yeah. And right. Of course, you got right. Martin Sheen in here. You got Tom Skerritt. Right. And obviously Walken. Right. Yeah. Um, um, so I guess before we get too far into talking about it, I'd be interested to hear what is everyone's history with it. Um, Alex, I think. I think this is one of those movies where you showed it to me or you let me borrow it and kind of introduce me to the dead zone, uh, as is apropos about many, <laughs> many movies we talk about. <laughs> I, I have this connection. I mean, again, it's also location rise, right? Right. Cause, um, I went to, uh, college in hamilton and it's right near niagara and they did a whole bunch of the filming in niagara on the lake and also i'm guessing it was cambridge because they at one point a bus there's a he gets off a bus to uh you know do the try the assassinate some peeps and uh it's a it, the bus says cambridge on it and i was like oh, oh i mean I was like, is that just like a bus that's, or was this supposed to be like Cambridge, Massachusetts? Like, right? Like, I wasn't sure what oh, they yeah, yeah. tried to play it, play it off as a different place, but right. uh, I suspect it was just a Cambridge bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this is one of those movies that I had heard of, and I'm almost positive I saw it on Movie Picks, uh, the the channel in Canada. It, it was it was like a basic cable movie channel that eventually went to be a pay channel, but. It was where I saw like all the Friday the 13th for the first time and, and just they would just show and Robocop and, and some of my favorite movies of all time I caught on this channel. And it was one of those. Yeah, just uh, I think a, a Friday or Saturday night I was either alone or hanging out with my best friend Max. And we just I, I, I know that. Yeah, I definitely saw it on TV, had uh, had a blast because I'd, I'd, I'd heard a bit about it, but I didn't know too much and just was really surprised that. This is a Stephen King movie directed by Cronenberg, where if you had told me like The Fly was that, I'd be like, oh, yeah, 100 percent. That makes sense. Whereas this like it doesn't it, it's it's definitely very Stephen King, but it's not what you expect. And it's definitely Cronenberg, especially the the scissors bathtub scene. Oh, I love that scene so much. But beyond that, it's not what you expect from Cronenberg. So it was interesting because I think it was. It was probably the first Cronenberg movie I saw in like, yeah, my young teens because uh, I hadn't I hadn't done the fly or anything that hard yet. But uh, yeah, it, uh, it, yeah, I saw it at like the perfect age, young teen. And it was it just clicked for me. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, you yeah, know, exactly. Exactly. It's it's a very interesting uh, point in in Cronenberg's career and King's career, obviously, as we were talking about. Uh, Jason, what what experience do you have with the film? Um, yeah, I saw this pretty early um, as a big Stephen King fan, um, and this is the first Cronenberg film I ever saw. I'm pretty sure. Um, 
this then the fly right like um not far after um but yeah as you said it's it's an interesting um i'm a huge cronenberg fan i i mean arguably my favorite horror director of all time um i love every one of his horror films um and many of his non-horror films as well um and this is an interesting point, right? Like, so you have, um, as I said, Videodrome basically in Dead Zone in the same year, essentially. Um, and then, like, The Fly directly after that, right? So, like, that's like... Yeah. That's like, man, that's like an arc. And, you know, in um, two years prior Scanners, right? So you have, like, a stretch, like a six-year stretch where, like, he's crushing it, in my opinion. Um, oh yeah, he's crushing it in a very unique way. Because even Scanners, there's that element of body horror, and I think that body horror is definitely present in this movie. I just think it's a it's, it's a different. much subtle yeah. So it's a so much yeah, that, subtler term, which right, I thought yeah, was yeah, very yeah. interesting. I, I think I think that's what you think of when you think of Cronenberg is like the grotesqueness right. of the fly, or even Scanners, and certainly you know um, James Woods' stomach pussy in Videodrome. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, his James Woods uh, stomach whap in uh, yeah, his, his stomach uh, p-word <laughs> oh god get it according, yeah, according to my wife who is a doctor uh, there shouldn't have been that dry. much liquid coming dry. out of his uh, his stomach p-word unless he had vaginosis like <laughs> I can't that's amazing oh, um, wow but like, uh, <laughs> um, that is delightful. Um, I, you know what I'm, and I'm really glad what Alex said. Like, it, it almost doesn't feel like a Cronenberg film unless you're paying attention. Which is like, what's really great in this film is Cronenberg's use of stillness. Like, this is a very um, measured film. Like, right? It's, it's very like it lets you sit with almost every single beat. Um, to the point where you're like, and it's still absorbing, like it's not never boring, right? Um, and then when the moments that you don't expect to happen that are Cronenberg, it hits even harder. That 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 scene with the scissors, it's not shown when it happens, but it hits hard. Um, the scene in the gazebo um, where he's like pulling her bra off and stuff is like shock. It's still like tough to watch, right? Um, there's like, it's just, it, it, it benefits from that stillness because it's so character oriented that I think if you're a Cronenberg fan or or like just, you know, thinking I'm going to put this in because it's Cronenberg and I'm going to see some crazy shit, it's not really what you expect, but I think it's a very solid movie all the way through. There's some phenomenal performances in this film. I think Martin Sheen with the time he's given is amazing. Oh, Um, for sure. So Good, so good, and and, and I, yeah. I love, I love, you know, Tom Skerritt's mustache. You know, I could watch that all day long. You know what I mean? <laughs> whatever it's doing, whatever that stash is doing, I'm there for it. You know? So. Hell yeah, hell yeah. I, I think um, it's it's very interesting uh, watching this right after experiencing the book because there are certain decisions that they make for the movie that just make better sense cinematically, uh, specifically like where they frame and where they set murders are different uh how they how they incorporate the world is different they they there's a a lot of focus just on the character of johnny in in the movie like it's it's a very care it's very character piece and it, it removes a lot of the fat 
the, now, because the book is like, because it's a book, so it, it explores everyone around him and what they're right. feeling and blah. And this one's like a very laser focused on what he's he's doing. Um, it it does not go out of its way to be like uh, my character name is John Smith and I have no middle name and I know that's weird and I know it's generic because they say that in the book like five times. Mm-hmm. They're like five times and they'd be like. My name is John Smith, and I don't have a middle name, okay? I know it's weird. I know you're not going to believe me. And I'm like, hey, you're just lazy. Oh, it's, like, it's, you're just... it's Jughead talking about how he's a weirdo. I'm a weirdo, <laughs> oh, Betty. Oh, my God. It totally is that scene from Rebecca. <laughs> I'm a weirdo, oh, Betty. God. I have no middle name. <laughs> Pendleton never heard of it. Um, but yeah, so it, it's very streamlined and there are little, like, it's a pretty faithful adaptation in, in other ways that it doesn't really need to be, uh, like the scene at Christmas where, you know, they, they come in and they, they have that meeting, the first meeting with the cop on Christmas, like that's like right out of the book. There's some set dressing stuff that is right out of the book. Like when he first wakes up in the hospital uh, there is a portrait of Jesus in the background that's like a little yellowed and a little yeah. and a little off. And like that's straight out of the book, right? Like that's like straight set dressing out of the book. There's there's some things that they that that I guess uh, I wouldn't have thought I hadn't actually thought about and uh, no adaptation really deals with it. Um, is because this is set in America, a lot of the book is focused on like, yo, you're fucked for life financially. Like a whole bunch of the book is just like, yeah, you have no money because you were in a coma for five years and that is all money that you have to pay back. Yep. And, like you have to pay back every single cent. And I guess probably, I mean, like Cronenberg's like Canadian, right? Like he probably was like, I don't give a fuck about that shit. <laughs> we got more important things to talk about. My head cannon for the movie is that the milk truck that he crashed into was owned by Purity Milk, and because they make that mad Ernest money, he got a big payoff for his bills. So Ernest helped pay uh, Johnny's medical bills in my head cannon. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about that car crash for roughly the next seven hours? Vern, we've got we've Vern, we've got a we've got a new guest on here. His name is Johnny. Welcome, Vern. Welcome to Johnny. Let me shake your hand. He's like, Horrible. stop smoking. Ernest, stop smoking. <laughs> Ernest, it makes your that voice cool, but you need to stop. It's going you. to kill you. I draw the line at Ernest P. World death <laughs> jokes, okay? <laughs> Think of the slinky dogs you won't be able to be. <laughs> yes. Think of the children. Uh, yeah, awful, awful. No, but that car crash, that car crash is fucking ridiculous. Like he sees that coming like seven hours away. It's yeah. like the scene in Austin Powers where he sees the fucking steamroller coming, and he's just yelling for like three minutes <laughs> as he crashes, <laughs> as he crashes into the side of that milk truck. And a milk truck is there a more embarrassing way to end up into a coma for freaking five years or six years than hitting a milk truck? And his dad drinks milk. His dad in the movie only drinks milk. Every time you see his dad drinking, he's got a big cup of milk. And I'd be like, Dad, stop fucking reminding me about that you goddamn milk. You're, dad? <laughs> You're triggering me, Dad. Get, the, get some milk. Purposely drink. just pours a big glass of milk every time he comes over, he just looks at it and slurps it slowly. Always got a milk mustache. <laughs> <laughs> 
Top Scared actually didn't have a mustache. It was all just chocolate milk. And it was an intimidation tactic. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, I think wa- walking, I'm not... Um, I know walking's beloved by many people. I'm uh, I'm okay with walking like in certain things. I but think he really works in this movie, though. Like I think he... He does really work well in this film. He um, what, his weirdness what, what, really works. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. The the weirdness is, is there a lot, and the the cause of the coma you feel a lot. Uh, that's something that we'll talk about in the other adaptation. But I think they don't really deal with the cost as well. I mean, I think they give it lip service, but it does not. You know, Anthony Michael Hall does not look deformed or is like not walking. That do you think? Do you think when they were casting, they're like, uh, David, uh, who should we cast? He's like, mm, who's the Hollywood star that seems the most brain damaged? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Walken. One of Christopher Walken's like first roles is in Annie Hall, where he talks about how he's just going to drive into uh, a yes. set of lights. Like he's just like, yeah, yeah see those headlights? You just want to swerve and drive into them. So that's my head cannon for what yeah, happened. I got you. <laughs> that was got Johnny. You. Um, well, I, but I like that he played both Johnnies sort of different because we only see pre-accident Johnny for like five minutes, but like with the different haircut and talking yeah. about the raven and and sleepy hollow uh or the legend of ichabod whatever um and then yeah with like his his glasses and and his weird uptightness and and all that stuff and just like she sort of tries to invite him in and he's like no nah, i better go and it's like because he was trying to be such a good guy that he ends up getting in this accident and then when he gets out of the accident he's not necess- he's not totally changed but like Walken plays him different enough where like, oh, this is yeah a really interesting. It, it's really neat just to see. Yeah, even though we only see pre-accident Johnny for yeah just a couple minutes, he really does approach it differently, and it's 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 really cool to see. He's on like yeah. a hair trigger, which I think is it. I think is like a really fine line to walk in a perform. Oh my god, that <laughs> did not mean to make that pun. Um, but he he balances that that level of like intensity versus like just being like a normal person. And like when he flips and he when he goes really intense and he just like oh, the ice is gonna break and like smashes shit. Like it yeah. makes an impact because he's not always crazy from. From day one, I mean, it's it's one of the things that when people talk about The Shining, uh, the reason why King doesn't love The Shining is because he feels like uh, Jack Nicholson is playing crazy from frame one. And He's right. I, I mean, he, he is. <laughs> uh, but we'll, 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 we'll never talk about that, ever. Um, but um, Well, who knows? Uh, the Steven Weber Shining might have a shared cast or... or crew member with Riverdale. <laughs> you that never kid know. with giant buck teeth? Who did he become? Little pup. Riverdale. <laughs> little pup. Your, take your medicine, little pup. Um, uh, <laughs> going around the croquet mallet. Oh, I love uh, that. The, the fucking version. It's so good. Um, it's not. Um, but it's, yeah, so I think uh, that's a good point is that there is a, there's a definite progression and it, it, he really does, like there are scenes where this is your protagonist and your hero, but like the way he's filmed and the way like the zooms happen, uh, I think of like that opening scene where you first get him in the, he's meeting the boy to tutor. And that's when you first get Martin Sheen and his like bodyguard dude come by. And when they, fr- the way they frame and the way they, like they, there's like a music sting and the way it looks is like, Oh, who's that creepy guy in the corner? Holy shit. Oh my God. Oh, it's Christopher Walken. Yeah. Our hero. But like, he's yeah. like a creepy looking dude. And I think that's like a very fascinating way to play it is they don't try to, you know, make him pretty boy, uh, Anthony Michael Hall. And they try to like, you know, really <laughs> yeah. there's a cost. 
Yeah, I mean, I really think it's interesting, um, and we'll talk about the show in a minute and the differences, but, like, one of the things about the movie that um, I really love is, um, and this is obviously something from the book as well, right, which is, essentially, you don't, there's no protagonist in this film until the final act. Right. right. Like, there's, you're just dealing with a man dealing with trauma, you know, and granted, part of that is, you know, this magical thing. Um, which is his psychic abilities. Um, But there's, there's, you know, this is such, and I sort of was trying to talk about this before, but this is such like an empty feeling film. You know, they're riding a roller coaster with nobody else on it. They're (laughs) in a hospital. There's nobody else in the hospital after the, the accident. It just feels like everyone is isolated. And I think it really works well for creating an environment where you're dealing with a character who just feels more and more isolated. And that's really what this film is about. You know, the fact that he makes that decision, by the way, um, at the end is not just because he feels like it's the right thing to do and deciding that what's happened is a, is a gift that he needs to, to, you know, um, you know, to pay out on. It's because he has nothing. He's going yeah. to die. Yeah, he has yeah. a brain tumor in the book, his, right? The only, in the book, yeah. yeah, he's got a brain tumor in the and book. And this sort of, like, talks about that a little bit. Like, he talks about the dead zone is the part in his brain that's damaged, essentially, right? Right. And, right. and in the, the roller coaster scene, he does have that weird thing where, I guess, in the book and in the show, they have the scene where he's Second. a kid and he, yeah. he falls on the ice. The, the movie, they filmed the scene and then they ended up deleting it. It's yeah. filmed, but not in the movie. But it's interesting that, yeah, they have him on the roller coaster. And without that opening scene, it does seem like, oh, is he is he okay? Like, you know that he maybe is having a vision if you've read the book. But if not, you just think like, oh, okay. So it almost seems like they left it in because it might establish something more about, oh, yeah, no, he always had a brain tumor. Like, look back at that early scene. Because otherwise, yeah. I get why they had to put the the scene because there's the carnival in the in the movie, and unfortunately in Canada in October or or November, whenever they were filming that scene, there's like, well, we can go to Canada's Wonderland, and that's where they shot it at the that's them on the Canadian Mindbuster that I think, at Canada's makes Wonderland. So much sense. That but that's why sense. that's why the park was so empty because they filmed it in like October where it was freezing. It might have been November <laughs> even. They they had them open the park just for them. And that's why, like, it looks so weird. And they try and pass it off as like, oh, there's like a, like, almost like a Carney style guy uh, operating the ride. Whereas at Wonderland, it's usually like, you know, teens. But um, yeah, that they had to do this scene in, in yeah, the coldness of, of Canada, of the Canadian fall. But uh, I, yeah, the... I, I, I... I do think it works though. Like it's one of those things where it's like, it's yeah. a weird, uh, it's like, it's, it's almost like an unintentional theme throughout the movie is like his own isolation. Right. Cause they, they really deal with, uh, as he progresses as, uh, as things occur and happen to him. Uh, there's like the point where he's just like, I'm not leaving my house anymore. Like I'm just staying right. in this house and he's like right. completely isolating himself. So like right. it, it, so incidentally that works like it, it, Maybe, it yeah. kind of works and it's like one of those yeah. accidents and and uh i mean i guess it was there was always a hockey hockey accident in the in the in the book right like um i but i like that uh in the movie um it's a hockey accident that kills all the kids because that makes me go that's some canadian shit right like that's yeah, some, I, that's I real canadian can we talk shit. about that 
thing too where like the the dad is like come be my tutor i know you're in the news for being an insane psychic and then when you're the insane psychic tells you your kid's gonna die you're like get the fuck out of here freak i hired you to be a teacher not a psychic what what are you talking about this is yeah insane that is that is insane um also from the book like honestly that same weirdness okay. happened in the book where he it, it's not an excuse it's just like it was uh, that's yeah. like straight from the book where he's like oh you know i know you're a psychic but i believe it's bullshit uh, i know you believe it but it's bullshit and he's like so i'm a liar and he's like no 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 it's just bullshit believe what you want but it's bullshit <laughs> and wrong uh like, but anyways i agree you know, I, I agree with him i think psychics are bullshit but i wouldn't hire somebody who's a renowned <laughs> psychic to watch my kid alone and then <laughs> right. right like you're just like hey kid hey kid you ever heard of madame flavatsky yeah <laughs> <laughs> you want to learn you want to learn about the reptilians and how they're controlling the media <laughs> if reptilians are in hollywood christopher walken is definitely one of them 100 percent. he'd be the worst reptilian ever <laughs> they'd be like act like a human and they're like <laughs> And they're like, oh my god, god. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, let, let's get into the show now. I mean, we kind—I think we all kind of are at a consensus that the yeah, the, the movie, movie's great. The movie is great. The movie yep. is great. Yep. Um, and and I think it was. I think it's uh one other thing that I want to talk about uh, because as we go through the years, some of the things that change throughout uh, adaptations. I was really impressed by the filming of that World War II sequence. Um, and I, and I think that that kind of a sequence where there's still like horror aspects into it but it really is like a war scene yeah. uh that really kind of like showcased that like yeah like cronenberg is doing stuff that's not just horror he can do other genres and he can do it really well because he's like a brilliant filmmaker and he can do bigger uh, stuff it doesn't have right. to just be yeah. like like small scale canadian stuff with with interesting crazy effects but like yeah like he shoot he went from shooting movies that were you know had crazy prosthetics and stuff to being like oh yeah no here's like a controlled fire with a dude with a, a fake body on top of the bed with him with an escape hatch underneath the bed so that they don't have to worry about accidentally burning him that's how they did it and then yeah right. with the tanks and 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 all that stuff and yeah like he mm -hmm. he really upped his game to like doing some crazy stuff showing that like yeah no i'm not just that guy from canada who does weird stuff like i can do big stuff too yeah, and, and uh, I think it would be it's real easy to phone that in, right? Like that's like it's not like you could you could have filmed the phone that in. You could have used stock footage, right? Like there's nothing that you yeah, could have pulled a pulled million... a Bill and Ted. Yeah, <laughs> where they you go see... to Waterloo, <laughs> <laughs> meet Napoleon. Yeah, I mean you see you see that a million times in other movies that use like nom footage, right? Like you've seen that a million. And this is you could just tell immediately there's something else to this than just mailing it in right like there's it's so much more cinematic um you know it, it i can't even imagine and i just might have some insight in this like what the the cost and all that stuff to switch the type because essentially you're making just a short film in there that's like a different type of film right it was yeah. a the budget was not that high like it was uh wow. about six seven million um and like this is eight like so it's not a bad budget i think it's probably like a mid budget in that time period i think yeah, that, that um right. but but yeah but like that's still like a lot to just kind of be thrown at you and you know i yeah. doubt you had much time to film that scene it's only supposed to be appearing in the movie for briefly right like it's <laughs> right. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's B footage or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like it's all. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it's all really impressive. And I just wanted to make sure we noted that before we kind of went on. Well, one more thing, I, I just want to talk about that end really quickly. Since one I more thing, pulling a fucking Colombo on us, like <laughs> always. <laughs> Let me get my cigar. Um, I just think the, and I know this is um part of the book, but like before we move on to the show, because the show doesn't have this, at least of the episodes we're talking about. Um, the end is just so well constructed thematically. And, um, the way it's filmed, it it just, it's, it's awesome. Like, he gets up there, first of all, the woman he loves is, like, supporting this fascist leader, right? Right, Um, right. That was a surprise. I forgot about that. I totally, I totally forgot about that. Uh, although this scene, That's sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for him, I think. Yeah. You know, like, oh, he's, like even reeling people I know and care about, you know? Yeah. So, sorry. Um, so there's a video online that, 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 so there's a, there was like really in 2016, like late 2016, there is a video of like Trump, like holding a baby and like holding a baby like this in front of him. And like somebody edited it to be like, just keeps cutting back to like Christopher Walken. And he's like, oh my God. That's wonderful. I mean, that's the funniest thing. That scene is so wild. Like, you know, the idea that King had to him deciding to assassinate, which makes sense, right? He has that conversation about would you assassinate Hitler, you know, with the doctor, right? And then he decides to assassinate him, which, you know, considering he knows everything he knows, you know, he, he's almost obligated to do, right? I mean, what are you going to do, live in a world where the whole world gets nuked anyways and you're probably going to go down, right? Yeah, do you want to live out the what would have happened in war games if it wasn't just a game? <laughs> a mutually <laughs> assured destruction? Right. Global thermonuclear war? So he has no choice, really, but the way it goes about with him still not being able to shoot him and Margie picking up that kid, it's like the fucking, it's like the Seinfeld episode where George is pushing down kids to run out of the fire, but like, (laughs) but but it ruins his career and ends up with him committing suicide it's okay by the way that's a fucking great ending for that character dude like that's such a well like so so smart they're so smart like uh like you said like this is a real powerful ending and even the book is is and like has this ending because uh this is like king's uh, honestly probably king's best ending like if we're just gonna gonna be upfront like i'm trying to think of other things i mean like Carrie has Carrie has a good Carrie has ending. almost the same ending though where cuz isn't the ending of the book that uh that the the girlfriend visits his his grave and then has like she she gets a a calm sense that he's at peace now or oh. yeah, it's like yeah she does yeah, yeah. so it's, that's, that's a- the ending of of dead zone which is you know not the same as the ending of Carrie but the the end of the yeah. movie Carrie anyways has the 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 the, the psych out with the with the dream, which but is, yeah, which is better than uh, than the book's ending because the book ends with like a, a, a commission, like it ends with like reading mm. out like the Warren Commission, but it's called the <laughs> White Commission, and it's just a bunch of people being like, "We have learned that telekinetic people are indeed a thing, and they did fuck up this small town." And you're mm. like, "All right, like <laughs> you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have ended with this," but like yeah, so I think as far as books goes, it's probably the best ending of yeah. his I've done. Yeah, novels for sure. I mean, oh no, it's short stories. 
short stories are are pretty yeah. easy, right? Like, uh, I'm sorry, nothing's easy to end or write. I can't fucking write yeah, any yeah. of this. Um, but but uh, it's uh, it's a different game, right? Novels is probably where people. Um, one thing I was just gonna jump in that I remembered watching the special features was when they were talking about uh, him creating the character Stilson. It's supposed to be still Nixon where it's like that's where the name Stilson comes from that it's like oh. we haven't we haven't moved past we're still in this this shitty area shitty era of America we're still in this bad with these politicians like Nixon so that's why he called him Stilson can you imagine feeling that way in 79 in America <laughs> and like this is why this is why Stephen King is so angry on Twitter yeah, and just I, fucking drag I can't people. wait. I can't wait for the next version. And it's gonna be sump. All right, guys. Yeah, sump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ronald Sump is uh, trying to run. It's incredibly optimistic of you to believe there's going to be a next. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. We could. Uh, uh, that's all. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny because it's like it's uh, it's it's hard to quantify, and we could we could honestly talk about it for ages. Uh, the movie the movie is great. The movie's wholly underrated. I don't think it's talked about nearly enough, uh, no. even when it comes to King adaptations. Really, like it seems to kind of be one of those forgotten ones, and it's definitely in my top ten, if not higher, uh, as far as King oh, adaptations yeah. go. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah, easily, easily. So now let's talk about the thing that actually is relevant to this podcast, the television series. Um, and uh, let's start off with the fact that I pitched watching this television series because I was like, oh, man, all right, I found this really obscure actress who was one of those Sisters of Quiet Mercy, I believe, which is like one of the nuns in, in Riverdale. She's in it. She's in episode two. We're just going to this is an excuse. We'll watch episode one and it'll be fine. And five minutes in, Pop, the guy Alvin uh, Alvin Singer, I think his name is, uh, walks in, and uh, oh, Alvin Sanders. Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking of uh, Colonel Sanders. Uh, Alvin Sanders. Uh, he he he, wa- he walks on as the principal, and I was like, oh, well, okay. I mean, it's still very relevant, but now there's two Riverdale people involved because uh, in episode two, there's a sequence where there's like a diner scene where a lady almost gets hit by coffee. And that was the actress from Riverdale. So we almost, <laughs> we almost talked about that because some lady didn't get hit by coffee. Uh, Can we with- talk about how like the first 15 minutes of episode one is so horny? This show starts so... They're fucking in the closet. She's like, oh, eat my orange in the closet. I'm like, what is going on? All the kids know they're fucking... Like, and everyone's fine with it. He's hanging... It's like crazy. Okay. What is going on at the beginning of this? This this was a USA Network show, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Correct. USA Characters Network was, was a weirdly horny channel. Like, <laughs> they did have... They had Duckman. They had Weird Science. Weird Science was the horniest show. So I think USA did enjoy having like this weird <laughs> horny horny shows and horny things. But yeah, I did I was uh I was a little taken aback just how horny it was just at the beginning. Uh for for like in the school. Like not just like, oh I'm gonna like- take you home later and, and whatever. It's like, oh, let's go like, you know, feed each other exotic fruit in the closet. <laughs> The kids are 
fucking out listening to them in the closet and nothing happens to him. They're like, cool, keep going. Yeah. How? What? What? Yeah. He's hanging out of trees and shit. Like, what is going on? It's, what is going on yeah. in the gig of the show? It's, 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 but it does, it's it does make a better turn past uh past that i think now the um, show does start with the the ice skating accident when he's a kid right yes, yes. Which is, is that how yes. the book starts too yes okay yes. um and it kind of sets up that this is uh this is why he is able to because a big thing in the book is like the reason why he was able to wake up from his coma is because he already had brain damage and the brain damage happened from hockey bam right. That's a that, that's an indictment about the NHL. The, the, just, the doctor you know. the doctor says to him like, "Oh, it the, like brain trauma from when you were, it must have been from when you were a kid, like because the, they yeah. make a point of mentioning that yeah that they tie it together." Yeah, yeah there's some um, they, nonsense here, and, and I guess implicit too in the book and the 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 movie that of like the five percent of you only use five percent of your brain nonsense, which is absolutely unscientifically true, by the way. Uh, um, limitless and, uh... yeah yeah it's a long <laughs> I can psychically trip. tell you're bullshitting me right now it's all true I know I'm a psychic um, but yeah it's it's fascinating because there are so many beats where they do uh, play it very similar to the prior adaptation and the book uh, for the most part where they're like oh you know we learned about the fire which by the way we didn't mention in talking about uh, the other adaptation because that scene is amazing in that adaptation I forgot how well oh, that set burns boiling oh, over boiling awesome. over and it's like awesome. it's like that whole like capturing about like what it's like and then it's fine in this one um, <laughs> did you, oh and did you read they had to reshoot it because they accidentally burned an ET toy and Universal oh, yeah. Universal yeah. threatened to sue if they didn't remove ET and because there was no like CG they just had to like okay let's just burn down another shelf full of kids toys and make sure none of them are owned by a, a rival studio <laughs> so stupid that's, that's hilarious that's like some petty petty bullshit uh, it's not as impressive in this show I mean again they're working for a TV no. budget but yeah it's fine no what I will say though is I do um really enjoyed the um way they you know took the doctor story of him losing his mother yeah i think it was really well done in the show Um, i think it is really heartbreaking that story actually yes it it is very heartbreaking and they they tell it with a lot of silence which i thought was really impressive like especially near that end it's just like it's a silent journey back and i mean in the in the book uh, and in that prior adaptation, they don't like the doctor doesn't reunite. He chooses not he to reunite. Her with and his... Hangs up the phone. He's like, I yeah, like it wasn't meant to be. And that's straight up from the book, dude. He's just like, oh yeah, my mom's still alive, but fuck, I don't want to send another fucking Christmas card. Like <laughs> um, and this one, like, he goes back to Vietnam and like goes and reunites with his uh, with his uh, mother, which is nice and sweet, and also yeah. kind of helps too because they're in the book. There's some real bad Vietnam stuff in that he just makes up a Vietnamese proverb. Like, he just makes it up. And then, like, hinges, like, the entire second half of the book off of the story of the laughing tiger. And I looked it up. Not a real thing. He's just like, yeah, yeah, in the culture, they have a tiger that laughs and it does some shit and fucks the world up. And it's a good analogy for this. this, Wait, is this the story? Sorry to get off on a tangent, but there's that episode of King of the Hill where, uh, Buckley dies, and Khan, who's the Laotian character, mm-hmm. tells about an old parable where a guy is being chased by a tiger, and he he runs and he falls off this cliff, 
and he's hanging on this branch and he looks up and the tiger's standing there and he looks down below the cliff and there's another tiger and he's sort of like <laughs> and then he just looks up on the branch and there's this strawberry growing and he just eats the strawberry and it's the most beautiful or it's the most delicious strawberry that he's ever eaten and then uh that's that's a whole i know that that's the only parable i know about tigers and it's actually supposed to be like if he had focused instead of eating the strawberry he could have figured out a way to live but instead he just lived in the moment <laughs> ate the strawberry and then died so even on king of the hill they got it wrong but wow. hilarious hilarious um but yeah so it was nice that there was like some po- positive like vietnamese representation and they were like trying to do oh, yeah, it which the, I thought the, was the cool. scene where he brings his like uncle in and his uncle uh thinks that he left her to die and finds out he didn't is just oh like, yeah that he got confused because two women were wearing the same shawl and like that was, and like when they did the freeze frame and like he he walked through everybody's stop motion or everybody yeah. stopped in place. I'm like, oh, that's that's really cool. Like, I think I think Cronenberg wanted to do more neat stuff like that. But like just special effects, timing and, and everything wise, like he couldn't. Oh, yeah. Like, I think they 100%. definitely wanted to have Johnny there in the war flashback. But they're like, oh, like it just it's easier to film it without Chris there. Like we can do second yeah. unit. We can do whatever. Yeah. Um and I like that this show is sort of like, well, why don't we why don't we do the stuff that maybe they couldn't do in, in the movie? Right. And like it's it's right. not just them trying to milk it. It's them being like, let's let's try and do stuff that they, you know, they couldn't do. And I, I thought that scene was great where he walks yeah. back and he sees, oh, no, the woman you saw get blown in the air was another lady. And it's actually your mom was over here <laughs> passed out. It, it just Yeah. And it just works because there's so much chaos going on around too you know what i mean like it just it just works yeah Um, yeah exactly i think uh i think it's a really smart uh way to kind of set the stakes for the show as well because they very early on i believe it's like second episode but very early on in a very simple way they they kind of established that like you have these visions you can change the future basically they they really go hard on setting that idea up uh, in in a way, and that seems to kind of be the crux of the show because a lot. When I was watching the show, I was very much reminded of similar flashbacks in Hannibal. The way that Hannibal, like Hannibal, like does a little more artistically, but like they're also like ten years later, right? Like there's a lot more time after that, and they had a lot more freedom. Uh, but uh, I just I was reminded a lot of of that, and in the books, how Robert Harris like talks about uh, Will Graham being able to like. Yeah dissect a crime scene and it's like oh okay so like i guess they went like police procedural with this or like at least that's what i was thinking but then i started like reading some of these insane ideas for like what happened in future episodes and before we get too far in because we're going to talk about this but i need to talk about some of these episodes like shaman this is episode 12 of this season Johnny investigates a meteor and becomes trapped in a cave overnight. He communicates with a Native American hundreds of years in the past and helps him save his tribe from the meteor. What? I love this. This sounds like, okay, there was a show called Early Edition where a guy would get tomorrow's newspaper today. today. And then he would go out and try and fix things before they went bad. So it sounds like that mixed with like the insanity of dark shadows, because when you're talking about somebody like communicating 400 years ago to change something in the past, and then you mentioned the thing with the cane head later that I'm sure you're going to get to, that's very like, 
bizarre soap opera tropey from the the 60s like yeah dark shadows stuff <laughs> oh okay there's an episode called plague which um okay i'm just gonna read this okay this is fascinating this is from season two Johnny has a vision of a plague that starts with the children at a science fair. He and Walt must convince a skeptical health inspector and the CDC of his abilities to save everyone. He looks into the future and sees the cure weeks before its discovery. Okay, this is where this ver- this, this description of the episode gets wild because somebody went and added this in recently. In May 2020, a YouTube video highlighted apparently prescient similarities to the COVID-19 pandemic. Emmy.com noted, it's no surprise that the episode is so similar to what we're experiencing now since SARS and SARS-CoV-2 are in the same family. Yeah, so you're like pulling from SARS probably, right? Um, Yeah. It's just wow. so, it's wow. just, that's it's still so, crazy. That, that like addition was just so funny, but like, there's all these like, like it, it's not a police procedural. Like I thought that that's what it would be. And like, no, it's either like wacky uh, going in the past or he is given like situations where he has to make a decision. Like, do I save this person or do I save this? Sometimes he talks to his future self through a cane head. Like it just, it's wild. I, I feel like I have to watch the show. Like honestly. Yeah, you're you're selling me on it. I'm sold. <laughs> like, I, and I didn't even dislike what I saw. A lot of this is like a lot of this first two episodes is stuff that's sort of pulled and adapted from the book in the film, right? Like the second right. episode is about basically the uh, cop killer, yeah. right? Guys, there's an episode the called "The Very Dead Zone Christmas." Oh, yes. I need to watch it for this Christmas. I, I need more stuff to write about. That's amazing. Alex Sinclair comes to visit Johnny for Christmas. I don't know who that is. And a shared vision leads them to an amnesiac man dressed as Santa being mugged. The muggers are children, and Johnny <laughs> them with their father as they, Johnny's friends, and the Santa celebrate Christmas. The Santa turns out to be a famous actor. What? This is the best show ever. <laughs> this is going to be my new bedtime show because this is a show that, like, I won't mind falling asleep during because if it influences my dreams, they will be bonkers. <laughs> oh my oh, god. Shit, this one's where he deals with Waco. Like, this is nuts. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my he god. He meets Timothy McVeigh standing outside Waco and uh, <laughs> touches him. Um, oh, so I guess we should also talk about the when you mentioned Johnny having, you know, medical bills. They establish in this version that Johnny's mom is super rich, that his dad right. has already passed, and that she has a new boyfriend played by, I think it's David Ogden Steers, or uh, like yeah. the classic sci-fi actor guy who's been, like, I, I remember him in Star Trek and other stuff, um, where he is the head of a, a, I don't know if it's an evangelical society or what it is but that he yeah this this church and that that seems to be how johnny might get you know connected with with stilson eventually um because we only watch the first episodes yeah but it's 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 an interesting take where yeah they establish the wealth so they don't have to explain because he even says like we're gonna take care of all of his bills we'll make sure whatever so we know that like johnny's taken care of in that sense 
And this is also right. a character who can bring interesting characters in and out through Johnny's life. And he doesn't seem to be as much of a bad guy yet. I don't know if he becomes, you know, an antagonist at some point, but uh, it's, I'm interested to see. It's an interesting way to do the show. Uh, I will say I, there are other Canadian shows though, like the 4,400 and, and I think another one where there's a lot of stuff that hinges on like, and then this religious guy ran this thing and then it was this, uh, and then it was, you know, them filtering money. And I'm like, Man, a lot of Canadian shows really go into that religion thing. Right. Well, yeah, it's um, wild. If you're talking about um, the United States, it's accurate. Right. Yeah, so. That's fair. Also, like, I don't know what happens with Stilson in this show because he's still around in season six. Because there's an episode where Johnny gets a vision of disaster on a private space mission and is forced to work with Stilson to save the crew. Yes. What? <laughs> what the why are we not all watching this show forever and always? Why isn't every single person I've ever met in my life talking about this? Yeah, <laughs> why is there no pod like podcast deep dive into this show? Like deep I, had, I've been wanting to do one about Dark Angel, but like move over, Jessica Alba. I'm, uh, <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm thinking maybe this show. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! But anyways, yeah, wow. sorry. I'm not just going to keep reading off the crazy... You could, well, and I'd be very entertained. I'm entertained <laughs> just by hearing about the descriptions of these shows. Uh, you know, I, and, and I think, though, like, I, I honestly think this is pretty good. Like, better than I expected it to be. Oh, yeah! yeah. I think Anthony Michael Hall's good in it, actually. Yeah. Um, I, um, I think, at least the two episodes we saw, I really love the, right. the, the um, addition of Walter. Like, I think that's really cool, like, having that, like sidekick kind of character yeah. right um, i think right makes sense for this type of show um it is a little tropey but i just think it works i um uh, I this, like this johnny i will say this johnny does not fuck his ex-wife uh even though she has his she baby tries to his his baby named johnny can yes. you imagine <laughs> <laughs> I feel so bad for the cop in this oh, show. The cuck cop? It, yes. The cuck <laughs> okay. cop. This is the first uh, time I've ever felt bad for a cop in my life, and it was watching this show. Yeah. I, so I like I like this show more now that I know it didn't just become a procedural, like cop drama, right? That actually makes these episodes a little bit more interesting to me because that's like one of the only times they really tackle this. Like, there's other cop yeah. parts, but it's not like, you know, an X-Files. Like, I thought they were just gonna... They, I, I, if I were to guess, I'm like, oh, they're just gonna do, like, X-Files or whatever, where he just yeah, solves or, crime. Or pushing daisies, where, like, yeah, he touches right. a corpse and figures out how it happened or whatever, like... Yeah, yeah. but, like, that's not what this show is. Uh, the show is just fucking crazy, apparently. But uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting in that, in that regard. Um, so it really does kind of incorporate the, the, the these first two episodes seem like the only times that other than introducing characters that they really hit home on ideas from the, the movie itself. Uh, and it does a good job. Like, I think, uh, I think if they're, they're going to tell it the way they're going to tell it, uh, I think this works. One major change, right in the, in the book. And I believe in the book um, and the movies, definitely he's like reluctantly brought in on a case. Like, you know, Tom Skerritt comes to his house and is like, we want you to be, you know, take a shot. Let's see if we can do something about this gazebo murder. In this show, he's like trying to force himself on the police force, which makes him seem like an absolute lunatic. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> like a Which real interesting psychic who shows up like, oh, I know where the body yeah. is. You know, they talk to me. And, uh, yeah. Breaking uh, and entering into the house of yeah, somebody who thinks that he's missing. That was bonkers. Him just breaking the basement window <laughs> and climbing through with his cane. Like, that, that was, was amazing. That was he crazy. would still be in prison. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The but black I mean, dude like, would have gotten shot on sight. Yep. <laughs> and he'd, he'd be... <laughs> but, but like, the fact that it went from, from that to, like, five episodes later is a plot where he's exposed to a large dose of ketamine and he must <laughs> deal with drug <laughs> drugglings and drug-induced visions. Um, like that's like the next one. Like, like in the, in the show, like goes from zero a to a hundred. He's he's exposed to a large. But he's fallen to a vat of ketamine because he like the Joker. I have no idea. There's one where it's called Descent, where he is in a mo- an abandoned mine. Like, what is happening, man? That, that's just them looking around Vancouver. Like, okay, what set? Like, where can we go? Well, we've got an abandoned mine. We've got a, a building that could be a church. Uh, we've got, uh, yeah, creepy farmhouses. What? Um, what if he falls in this well over here that I found? Yeah. Oh, I will <laughs> say, though, I love that when he was in the, the basement, he saw that he could have let the cop die, and then he could have right. been with, uh, with, is it Sarah? Oh, uh, yeah, that, and that, yeah. that's what, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Then he, he instead, he, he decides to save the cop, and I'm like, ooh, like, he, he could have done it, and, like, he would have been totally justified in 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 the eyes of the law anyways of of letting the cop die but he you know he makes the hard choice of like no like even though i would get to have my family and have another kid with with sarah like i can't do that like if if something's gonna happen with this cop i want it to happen naturally like i don't want to be the reason this guy dies and i'm like ooh, that's that's really heavy for them to get into in the second episode of this show that like right yeah i was i thought that was great I really appreciate that they did because that's where my mind went. Like when I knew that that was what was happening, that the dude was, he knows that, Oh, you see that first, um, that first vision of him coming around and killing the cop. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, of course he's going to save the cop. But what I'm thinking is like, well, he probably in real life would have just let him get killed so he could get his kid back. Right. But then they take the extra step of being like, no, that is what he sees. Right. Like he sees him getting back with his wife, them getting married, like all the way down the road. Yeah, it's, um, it's really, really savvy the way they they did that. Yeah, acknowledging it, it. A, a, exactly. Yeah. Like it, it's it's nothing like you know, season two, episode four, The Outsider, where Johnny is watching a commercial for a beauty aid when he receives a vision of it causing numerous birth defects in the future. He must help two scientists fall in love in order to prove the product the, danger before. Dead. Before he can leap back? Is that yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. Dean <laughs> Stockwell's like gonna show up smacking a smartphone that goes, ah, ah. Yeah, no, you, uh, yeah, Al, you need to, or, uh, Sam, you need to, mm, mm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we don't know yet. You just need to figure it out. Suss it out yourself. Be Dr. Laura and go, uh, beat up that guy. I love Quantum, quantum Leap. leap. Quantum Leap. Yeah, that does sound super Quantum Leapy, which... Uh, that's probably why I'm really going to love the show, because I love Quantum Leap. Yes, hell yeah. So good. Yes, of course. 
Oh, God, I have to stop reading episode descriptions. Uh, <laughs> but also, there's an episode where all the animals are acting violently, attacking the townspeople. Johnny finds out the reason for the attacks is that the animals are sensing that a dam is about to break and flood the town. What? <laughs> so it's an animal attack movie, but they're just like, the dam's about to break, people. we gotta attack you so you'll leave and survive. What? This show sounds like everybody working on it in the writers' room had the best fucking time. Yeah. Like they're, it's like they that. Smoked it, a lot of. It's weed. like that Key and Peele sketch where they talk about Gremlins too. Oh, where so it's like, good. what if there's an electricity gremlin? I love it. It's in the movie. Like, that sounds like how this show was pitched. Like, what yeah. if all the animals attack because a dam's gonna break? <laughs> love it. Write it out. I want. <laughs> give me the script next week. Like. There are no, there are amazing. clearly no bad ideas when it came to making this show. <laughs> no. You know what? It doesn't sound like they were wrong either. Yeah. I mean, uh, for a USA Network show to last six years, I mean, obviously there was Monk and there was Burn Notice. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, like this would this would have been one of the slightly earlier ones. Like that's uh, that's that's, you know, that's pretty Psych admirable. It for a little while, too, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's show? right. Oh, um, God. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. I have to read one more. I'm so sorry. Welcome to Wikipedia, <laughs> the podcast. I'm so sorry. I'm here for it. No. Dana is back, and she helps Johnny solve an apparent hate crime. A white supremacist confesses to the crime, but the man was actually killed by his closeted gay lover. Johnny must save the racist from the gay killer who wants to kill him before <laughs> he, he can't. Awesome. <laughs> what? The way that they worded, Johnny must save the racist. From the gate. Are you sure there's not some Riverdale writer overlap with this show? Because this is the most Riverdale ass sounding show ever. This is fucking all Riverdaling Riverdale. Yeah. Johnny sees a vision of Archie being mauled by a bear. Johnny has to go to Mr. Lodge and convince him to let Papa Poutine live, otherwise, Archie could be in trouble. Like, Johnny learns that little Johnny is an incest baby, actually, and they fly. <laughs> so, guys, it turns out this is the perfect show to cover on this podcast because it's fucking crazy. I'm really with Alex. I could really go for, like, a full breakdown of this show. Episode, fuck it, minute by minute. <laughs> minute by minute. <laughs> Look at some of these episodes. Hi, uh, yeah, so we're doing a minute by minute podcast. The first 40 what episodes are just going to be about seasons. a very dead zone Christmas. Uh, <laughs> I would listen to every single one of those episodes. I've got to be honest. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, you know, I did not expect the, the craziness that today would, uh, today would get us. So, you know, life is crazy sometimes. I, I would, um, no, I would say um, check out the Dead Zone show. Like, honestly, it's, oh, it's yeah. like the first two uh, episodes. Yeah. Um, I know here, at least in the United States, it's on like IMDb TV, um, which like if you have Prime, like you can watch it for free. Like, I think all the episodes. So and it, um, with commercials, granted, but like, hey, fuck it. You know, it's on Amazon Prime in Canada. Uh, yeah, all okay, six cool. seasons. No, no commercials. So that's, you that's know. awesome. Yeah. I was I was happily uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find that and yeah I think this is one of the rare instances where it's like you can recommend the book and the movie and the show because they're all good. 
Yeah. If for different yeah. reasons, probably. Yeah. You know? De- definitely. Definitely. They're just kind of, uh, you know, they're very different interpretation. They go in a lot of different ways and they tackle the material, uh, obviously, very differently. I don't recall any uh, space missions in the book. Um, so, you know, they, they, they go off and do interesting stuff. Imagine all of those things you read, but Christopher Walken is the John. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta fall in we love got- <laughs> for, for the cure. We gotta stop these animals. <laughs> the dam is gonna break. He has to say that, right? Like that has to be the moment where, like, Anthony Michael Hall is like, "I got this. I can finally have my Christopher Walken moment." And he's like, "That cougar ate that baby because the dam is gonna break." <laughs> cougar ate a baby. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, just assume it. Uh, <laughs> I was really trying to help. It's just a poor baby cougar. It's misunderstood. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess uh, let's go around and do like final thoughts. What, what does, uh, I guess uh, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, I just want to say like, you know, uh, it turns out the Dead Zone is like a really good story template and you can do a lot of really interesting and unique things with it. And, you know, yeah. if you adapt it and change it with the era, you can uh, you can go in a lot of routes in a different uh, different areas to uh, kind of attack the story. I mean, even if somebody made another version of the story now, uh, there's still elements that they could they could really go into. Right. Because they, they sure. could do. Uh, an entire show or entire movie that focuses a lot more on the time difference, right? Because I think that's something that the they don't really get into too much with, um, you know, with the uh, stuff that happens in the walk-in movie. And they kind of tackle it a little bit here, like where they're like, oh, what? Bodybuilders are now in the office. And I'm like, yeah, that's the only crazy political thing that happened. Anthony Michael Hall, yeah, body bodybuilders as crazy it's gonna get well, um he, he apparently missed oj and i'm like how long was he in the coma what year is this supposed to take six place years. In? he was six years in the coma in the show i think yeah yeah five years in the movie in the book i think yeah and the show's so I, had a year they don't reason. mention what year the show is supposed to be if it's supposed to be concurrent like the show was what 2002 2003 so like he would have been conscious for oj i think like i just wasn't sure if they said it a few a few years earlier to give themselves some wiggle room but Maybe. yeah he he doesn't Who know knows he's whole... fucking time traveling in this show so he could have yeah been that's 19... true you know yeah oh yeah when, you know, when, when yeah. andrew said yeah like talking to the shaman 400 years ago that is like <laughs> that is like that quantum leap episode where he goes back to like his civil war ancestor because even though the whole conceit of quantum leap is that he can only leap within his lifetime he he shares enough genetics with like his great great grandfather that he can leap back to the civil war and i'm like who boy they're really stretching but like hey if you can make compelling tv out of it go for it that's right folks you heard it here uh alex is starting the quantum zone a quantum leap and dead zone recap podcast uh and talks about how the shows interact with each other uh That would be an amazing podcast, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, I would say definitely uh, watch anything, any of the stuff that we talked about. Read the book. Like I think uh, you know, it's uh, it's all good, and there's all it's all good in different ways. So I, I was very, I'm very impressed by this. Uh, Alex, uh, what are your final thoughts? 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I Like I said, I haven't read the book uh, all the way through, but now I'm more inclined to or, or get the audio book to hear James Franco read it to me. That that does sound like a, like a trip. Um, yeah, the movie, I, I, I hadn't watched it in a long time and rewatched it just the other night. And I was, yeah, I forgot how, how just great it was. Like, I, I can't even remember what I was expecting. I, but I, I ended up watching it being like, oh, like, this didn't leave me feeling like skeeved or, or upset or gross or just anything that you might expect to feel after a Stephen King or Cronenberg movie. Like, you just feel good. Like, it's just it's a solid, well-made movie. And then the show, I was just watching it and pleasantly surprised that, yeah, it's definitely very Canadian. It's definitely very, uh, you know, low budget TV to an extent. But given their limitations, they pulled off from what we've seen so far and from those descriptions, a really fun, well-made show. Exactly. Uh, Jason, what do you think? Well, yeah, um, I'm really in line here. Like I, um, for different reasons, I enjoyed, um, you know, the film and the the show. I think they're uh, very different, but playing in the same world, obviously. Um, I also mentioned like, yeah, for something that's probably a little lower budget, I was incredibly impressed with some of the flashback stuff that they did. Um, in the fur, even today, by today's standards, like some of that stuff that they did, I thought really worked well. Um, I thought the acting was pretty solid across the board, quite honestly. Um, I was actually hoping we'd see more of that doctor character. I was hoping he'd kind of be, you know, a little bit more involved. Maybe he is down the road. I thought that character was great. Um, as I said, aside from the super horny first 15 minutes, I think the show uh, seems pretty good. And, you know, I think the film's excellent. Completely underrated. I think oh, it's a oh. damn shame that it gets um, left out of, like, Best of Cronenberg and best of Stephen King adaptations because um, I think you said top 10. I would say this is probably top five Stephen King adaptations for me, at least. No, no, um, that's that's totally fair. I mean, so, <clears throat> it's a very different adaptation. Uh, it's like it, it kind of teeters that sci-fi and horror. There are like some really scary horror elements. Sure. There's also a little bit more to it than just a horror story, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, where can they find you on the internet, Jason? Oh, I don't know. Somewhere. If you care, you'll find it me that's it okay you know, okay I'm, and and, it, and you know if you are uh jason's ancestor uh two million years in the future who have just kind of dialed in and accidentally just took hold of jason right now um <laughs> we're all sorry if you want to if you want to reach me you can get trapped in a cave and speak to my shaman ancestor who will contact me directly <laughs> sounds good sounds good uh alex where can they find you on this world wide web uh, you can find me easiest on uh, on Instagram at AJ Patterson, P-A-T-T-E-S-O-N. There's no R. It's not Patterson because my great, great, great grandfather was illiterate and forgot it on his son's birth certificate and didn't want to pay to fix it. Wow. So, or, or at one point, will you get thrown back into his body and make ooh. the choice to omit that because that's the last name you always knew? Oh, now I'm gonna stay Patterson. I love it because there's it, <laughs> or maybe or maybe James Patterson went back in time to eliminate your side of the family so that you can have access to any of the wealth that he's uh, accumulated for himself. He would. <laughs> You're not getting any of that, Alex Cross money, you motherfuckers. Yeah. Okay, that is a that is a movie I want to see. 
Uh, <laughs> it's like time after time, but instead of like Jack the Ripper and H.G. Wells, it's two Pattersons yep. trying to figure out who gets the fortune. Yeah. <laughs> Where can we find you, Andrew? Oh, yes, you can find me on the interwebs at mpodcastm for the Twitter for this podcast. You can email us at milkshakesandmimosas at gmail.com. We have a brand new Patreon, which has been around for a few months, so it's not brand new. But hey, come on. Come on over. Uh, and you can find that looking up milkshakes and mimosas at Patreon or in the show notes. Uh, and yeah, that's all from us. Uh, as always, blame the CW. Bye.